Today's uh, scripture reading comes from Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 to 19. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes, and our ancestors are covered with shame. Lord, because we have sinned against you, the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to, to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us. Yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us. For the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant, for your sake, Lord. Look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. This is the word of the Lord. When we were choosing chapters and speakers, we had to have Daniel preach from Daniel. <laughs> Let's pray. 
Father, your word is true. It is timeless. And this prayer has inspired and moved people throughout hundreds and thousands of years. And this morning, we believe that you have a word for us. Thank you for the way that you've shaped and formed Danny, our preacher, this morning, and the words that you have put into his heart. Now give him freedom to speak as a messenger of God. Prepare our hearts that they would be receptive soils from which the word would plant seeds and bear fruit. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, John. Daniel preaching from Daniel, or Danny preaching from Daniel, a heavy text. Thanks, Jonathan, for reading it. It was a long one. Glad you stayed with it all the way. Well, good morning, friends, and Happy New Year. I'm going to just keep on adding to that Happy New Year. We'll keep saying it again and again. And as we begin this new year, I'm sure some of you have, um, perhaps you've written down some New Year's resolutions. Uh, you have some dreams that you're hoping for this year. You have some new uh, rhythms or practices that you're hoping to lean into. Maybe you have some new hopes and dreams uh, for our community or for your families. And it's really easy to get caught up uh, in our own plans, right? It's easy to get turned in on ourselves and to make everything about what we want and to use our own strength and to use our own wisdom to make it all happen. We can be driven by our own uh, anxiety and fears or the anxiety and fears of others that we're in relationship with. But as followers of Jesus, we aren't called to fashion our own plans and be driven by anxiety. Instead, we're called to pray. And this year at First Baptist, as a community, as we look forward uh, to going back to our new old building, I think that's the way it goes, right? We're 20 months through our displacement. As we look forward to that, we're going to be experiencing lots of changes. And so as John mentioned, we're going to be looking at prayer at prayer because we want to be a praying community. We want to be dependent upon God to lead us and to not be driven by our own angst. And so I'm going to ask you to pray with me as we begin. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us now and that you would transform us and that we would encounter you, Jesus. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So it hasn't happened yet with my son uh, Malachi, but I've gotten to experience it with my nieces and nephews and some of my cousins and some of the young people I work with. They ask why, right? Why is the sky blue? We gotta leave now, why? You gotta finish your food, why? And so as we begin looking at this text, I wanna start with that same question, why? Why is Daniel praying? And the text gives us a few clues. In verse two, we read that Daniel was reading the scriptures and he understood that the Israelites' desolation would last 70 years. Now, the desolation of, of Israel is a reference to the Jewish exile. So exile. Exile means um, a period of forced absence from one's country or home. Right? We're, we're more used to the term of refugee now. But exile is when you are sent away from your home country. I was thinking of some, uh, as I was preparing this text, I was thinking of... Um, some revolutionary leaders in Africa for the independence movement and how they were sent into exile. And that is the story of Daniel. His life is an experience of exile since the kingdom of Judah was conquered by the kingdom of Babylon. And Babylon's uh, common practice as a way to like, assert their dominance was to take people from their homeland and to spread them all out, all over the empire. And so King Nebuchadnezzar 
has conquered Judah and Jerusalem, and he takes many of the Jews away. And Daniel is in this group who were forcibly taken from their homes. And he's actually in a group of, of wise men who are taken back to Babylon to be um, counselors to the king, right? And so Daniel's life, if we read the first few chapters of Daniel, are all about his experience of exile. I'm thinking of when Daniel interprets King Nebuchadnezzar's dream when nobody else could. I'm thinking about when God saves Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when, and he, after they're being thrown into the fiery furnace because they wouldn't bow down and worship the gold idol that Nebuchadnezzar made. Or the story of Daniel in the lion's den where Daniel's faith makes him despised and he is threatened with death because he disobeys the king's edict. Daniel's life in exile is full of, of dangerous situations where he is repeatedly dependent upon God to save him. And you would think that living as a minority and as an outsider, that he might think it might just be best to conform to the culture. That it might just be best to not disagree. To just absorb himself into the ways of Babylon. But instead, Daniel prays. No matter the circumstances, Daniel is drawn to prayer. And this prayer that we read just now actually comes after Babylon has lost its power. Babylon has now been conquered by the Medes. Can you imagine? Daniel gets exiled because of Babylon. He's living in Babylon. And then Babylon gets destroyed. And along come the Medes. He's seen a lot. And in it, he's turning to Scripture and he begins to read. And he reads from the prophet Jeremiah. And he reads that the exile was approaching the 70-year mark, which meant that it was soon to be completed. And so I get the sense when I first read this text that Daniel's beginning to anticipate. He might be getting excited that he thinks it's over. We're going to get to go home. We're not going to be in this dangerous place anymore. But instead, Daniel's drawn to grief. Instead of excitement and rejoicing, Daniel is drawn to grief and needing to pray and to pray for forgiveness. And so, in other words, there's something essential here about bringing our grief and our shame to God, regardless of where we are on the journey. Daniel is drawn into prayer near the end of his exilic journey. Looking back, he's, he's looking back on his life and on the Jewish experience, and perhaps he's seeing how the people have failed. And with that, he brings shame, and he brings guilt. So yes, Daniel's praying because he's in exile, and exile sucks. But what's the real reason that Daniel's praying? He's praying because he's overwhelmed with shame and sin. And it's too heavy of a burden. And he's actually overwhelmed by the communal sin, not his own sin, the communal sin, the sin of himself and his ancestors and their need for forgiveness. And so faced with the need to ask God for forgiveness, Daniel's led into a prayer of confession. In verse 4, it says, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. And in this prayer of confession, I see uh, two images for God. The first image is of a righteous and powerful God who brings judgment on those who sin and, those, and on those who turn away from him. Look at verse 4 again. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Verse 7, Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. 
the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. Verse 11, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sword and judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. Heavy words. Heavy words, but a clear message in this passage. God is righteous. Israel is not. God is faithful. Israel is unfaithful. And because Israel has not been faithful, they are under judgment and they need to confess. And so, from my postmodern ears, uh, when I read this text, I was like, whew, please, Lord, no, I don't want to preach this. <laughs> but consider the context of the Old Testament. Because of the covenant that, the, that God had made with the Israelites, their actions were directly connected to blessings or curses from God. In other words, let's say, bad living resulted in suffering. Good living resulted in God's blessing. Now, I think it's important to say that this kind of, of covenant relationship isn't the same kind of arrangement that we have today with Christ. But I think some of us still carry this understanding or this view as an unspoken thought. We sometimes think that what we're going through uh, is because of mistakes that I've made or that my family have made. Some of us may think that when we get sick or that we're suffering, it's because of sinful choices that we've made. Or that perhaps a whole country is suffering because of their sinful actions. It's fair to draw that line of understanding sometimes. And there are some things that we can say clearly come from mistakes and sins that we've committed. But however, Christ revealed to us that we live in a broken world. A world where there is suffering, pain, desolation, addiction, and death. Not necessarily because of any particular sin in a person's life, but because sin is a condition that's inherent in our world. It's something that we all struggle against. And our call, our call, similar to Daniel's, is to recognize this brokenness and to bring it to, before the Lord and to trust him to be the righteous and powerful judge that he is and that he will make all things right. There will be a release one day from exile. There will be a homecoming. But that will not depend on us. And that's because of the second image of God that we see in this text and that Daniel gives to us in this prayer, which is of a merciful, forgiving, and faithful God. Verse 9, The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. Verse 15, Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made yourself a name that endures to this day. Verse 18, we do not make requests because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. You know, this second image of God is one that is grounded in believing that God's love and mercy saves and overcomes our rebellious hearts and actions. You know, the images of, given to us is one of the Exodus narrative. And if you remember, the Exodus narrative is when God's people, Israel, are in Egypt and they're in slavery 
They're in slavery, right? And they're suffering terribly. And they cry out and God saves them. God liberates them. Not, not because Israel is going to be perfect or because they've changed their ways. God saves them because he's merciful and wants a people for himself. He wants a people to make his name known to the nations. And the pattern of God forgiving and saving the Israelites, regardless of what they do or behaviors that they represent to us, is a pattern that's repeated in Scripture. God saves. And this image of God is most clearly shown to us in Jesus, right? In Jesus' birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection, God demonstrates to us his great mercy, his forgiveness, his faithfulness, and power to save us and the world. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not because we followed the rules or impressed the right people. It's not because we impressed God by how good we were or are. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God is righteous and powerful. He is our righteous judge. God is also merciful, forgiving, and faithful. And this holistic view of God shapes Daniel's prayer of confession. And so now what I want to do is spend the last part of this time together just talking about a couple of implications from this prayer, using Daniel's experiences and posture to guide us. The first implication is that times of desolation often lead us to confession. Let me say that again. Times of desolation often lead us to confession. You know, difficult times often bring us to a place of of needing to confess our sins. You know, my mom, uh, who's visiting, recently shared with me, I should note she teaches Greek, but as my mom uh, was recently uh, visiting and shared with me, she says that the word to confess in Greek literally means to agree. To confess to God is to agree with what God's diagnosis of me has been. I am a sinner. I know this. This is the diagnosis that God's word has given me. I need help. I need healing. And difficult times often remind me of this truth. And I think that reminds us, all of us, of this truth. And you know, this past year, having been admitted to the hospital and receiving uh, multiple different diagnoses of what uh, was wrong with me from a period of doctors or from different doctors, I often had to confess or to agree with them with their diagnosis. I had no choice. I was sick, and there was nothing I could do on my own to fix it. Our sinful state is something that we need to confess before God. We need help. We cannot do this on our own. And our experience of helplessness and fragility or hurt or deep disappointment can often be exactly what we need to bring us back to the feet of Jesus. And that leads me to our second implication. At his feet, we are assured that God forgives. At his feet, we are assured that God forgives. It's a simple truth, but it's so hard to embrace because, frankly, it's just too good to be true. It's just too good to be true 
that we're forgiven. You know, Daniel's prayer of confession demonstrates, us that, demonstrates to us that God forgives though humans continue to turn away from him. And that reality is such good news. Grace and forgiveness is something that God offers to each of us. It's not something that we earn. It's something that we receive when we confess. And in our, uh, can I say in our Western eyes, where we often so, we earn our money, we feel like we earn our status, we earn the love of our friends and family, we earn it all, don't we? Or that's what we think we do. But forgiveness is a gift. That's grace. That's grace. It's grace that in spite of addictions to pornography or to alcohol or to our lust for power, to our believing that money will save us or trusting in money over anything else or trusting in our status, that God forgives and calls each of us sons and daughters. And this prayer isn't just about a confession of individual sin. It's also communal. I find it interesting that Daniel doesn't pray, actually, for his own personal forgiveness. And if you read the story of Daniel, you'd probably come away thinking, Daniel is faithful. He does it right. But yet he's the one who's praying for forgiveness. And it's because Daniel sees sin not just on a personal individual level. He sees it on a communal level. And so being a praying community means we also need to pray for forgiveness for the sins of others in our community and even for the sins of those who have gone before us. And for all of us here today, I wonder what that means. What would it mean for us to recognize our need for God, but to also recognize our community's need for God? I want to highlight verses um, in verse 17, I believe, where Daniel prays, oh, sorry, verse 16. He says, Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors. What might it mean for us to pray for the forgiveness for those perhaps who have gone before us in the faith, perhaps of our families? perhaps of our church communities or groups that we belong to, what does it mean for us to pray forgiveness? Yeah, there's a, we're in an important moment in our current time with truth and reconciliation where we're asking for forgiveness, and that is really good and it's important. There is also a need for us to have a vertical forgiveness. We have to pray to God to forgive us and to forgive those who have gone before us. But Daniel in his prayer ends with this, and it's sweet news. It's good news. He prays and believes that it's only because of God's mercy that the Israelites will be forgiven and saved. Verses 18 and 19. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. C.S. Lewis was once quoted to have said this about prayer. Prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes Friends, confessing our sins transforms us and encourages us to believe and depend entirely on God's mercy. This is the kind of prayerful posture uh, that I hope remains central to our community, and it's one that helps us to remain hopeful 
as we are often in experience of exile and desolation. And it's one that as we anticipate the day of Christ coming back, when he will make all things new. There's a hymn that goes, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you now and we want to take some time and we just pray, Lord, for you to listen. And God, we want to start by asking for your forgiveness and we take these next few moments, Lord, to name the forgiveness, uh, the, the sins that we have that we're carrying, Lord, the shame that we're carrying. Lord, we pray that you would free us from that. And Lord, we pray for forgiveness for mistakes that we have made unintentionally. We pray for forgiveness for uh, the mistakes that the church and those who have gone before us have made. We pray for forgiveness. And Lord, we thank you for the good news of Jesus. Because of your great mercy, God, you sent to save us so that we might be called sons and daughters. That while we were far off, Lord, that you call us home. And that even though we experience times of exile in our lives and times of desolation, that you are right there with us and that we have hope that you will make all things new. And so, Lord, we pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.